Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at GreenLight.Guru. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. In this episode, I have a conversation with Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences on the topic of medical device reporting and what that means to medical device companies. So be sure to enjoy this, take a few notes, learn a little bit more about medical device reporting and how this applies to your company. Hello and happy new year. Happy 2017. This is John Spear, the VP of quality and regulatory and founder at greenlight.guru and welcome to the global medical device podcast. My guest with me today is Mike Drews from vascular sciences. You've heard Mike and I talk about a number of topics that are important and pertinent to the medical device industry. And of course, today we've got another important topic to discuss. Mike, welcome to today's program. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to spend time with you and your audience and Happy New Year to you and everybody yeah. else out there as well. Happy New Year. Well, we talked uh, a few weeks ago and put out a podcast on some of the things that were important from an FDA perspective or regarding uh, 2016. And one of those things that we kind of hinted at was this topic of MDRs. And what we're talking about today is, and this is the MDR medical device reporting, not to be confused with the same acronym that the EU is throwing out there for the new medical device regulations. This is very very FDA specific. But let's spend a little bit of time today talking about MDR, what it is, what it isn't, why it's important. So that's a great topic, John. Uh, so the, the uh, as you, you mentioned, the FDA put out a guidance uh, in November of 2016 on medical device reporting or MDR for medical device manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, quite frankly, is pertinent to medical device companies across the board. Yes. So unlike some of the other topics that we talk about, that are more applicable to one particular segment of the industry or another. Uh, this really applies across the board because, let's face it, in spite of our best intentions as engineers to design medical devices that are safe and effective, mm -hmm. occasionally things do go wrong. And one very important part of this process is to try to identify problems once they occur so that we can try to prevent them from happening again. Sure. And, of course, in order to do that, we need some sort of a system where that information is reported to us as well as to the FDA so that we can track it. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially the intention of this particular guidance. It goes mm -hmm. into talking about uh, what kinds of issues that need to be reported. It also goes into some of the, the tactical minutiae in terms of the forms that are filled out and so on. But most importantly, this whole area, which is under the general category of post-market surveillance uh, or the medical device equivalent post-approval study, is important for all of us to be aware of. Yeah, and this is one of those things that can confuse a lot of companies, especially earlier stage companies. They, there's a, 
a, a bit of mystification as to what has to be reported and when it has to be reported to the agency, not just with product issues, but just in general. And this is one of those few areas, as you say, that, that does affect every medical device company. And this is one of those few areas where you are submitting information to the FDA. That's exactly right, John. And perhaps that's a good place to start our discussion today. What types of events are supposed to be reported? Yeah. Well, according to the guidance, anything that can potentially cause serious injury or death to a patient needs to be reported. But that's sort of a statement of the obvious. The devil mm -hmm. is in the details. Right. You know, one of the biggest challenges that we face, whether it's after a product is on the market, or quite frankly, this happens in clinical trials as well. If we put something into a patient, for example, a medical device, or the same logic of, uh, is applicable for drugs as well, and something bad happens, like they drop dead, for example, how do we know that they dropped dead because of what we did to them or what right. we didn't do to them? Perhaps they would have dropped dead anyway. And of course, I hope the, under, the audience understands that, you know, I'm purposely using that, that, that powerful, um, <laughs> that extreme example as a, as a metaphor here. So it's very important, and it's, believe me, it's not always easy to do, but it's very important to try to see what the relationship is. Mm. In other words, I'll give you a simple example. Yeah, sure. This is something from my medical device book from many years ago. A medical device company was doing, in this case, a clinical trial, but it could be, you know, after it was on the market already, on a new pacemaker. The trial was conducted in a diff uh, several different locations, including Boston, LA, and Minneapolis. In Boston, a patient was hit by a car and they break their leg. The Boston study coordinator concluded that the event could not possibly be related to the pacemaker, and as a result, the, re the incident was not reported. Mm -hmm. In Los Angeles, a patient fell down the stairs and breaks their arm. Mm -hmm. The LA study coordinator concluded that the event could not possibly be related to the pacemaker and consequently was not, did not report the incident. In Minneapolis, a patient slips on the ice and sprains his wrist. Once again, the Minneapolis study coordinator concluded that this event could not possibly be related to the pacemaker and consequently does not report the incident. Uh -huh. At the end of the day, none of these incidents were reported. As a result, the pacemaker was approved by FDA. While on the market, though, a growing number of patients reported similar problems. Eventually, it was determined that there was, in fact, a problem with the pacemaker. The pacemaker was not working properly, and it led to uh, a sinkable event. In other words, the patients ah. passed out, and uh, that's exactly why these things happen. Right. So, of course, we all know that hindsight is twenty twenty. Clearly, this problem could have and perhaps should have been found much sooner. So the point of, of my little story there, it's very easy for anybody, including the FDA and the guidance, to say, you know, serious adverse events that can cause, you know, serious injury or death should be reported. But mm -hmm. exactly which ones and, and uh, are related and so on is not always easy to tell. Yeah. And one last thing that I'll mention in terms of suggestion for the audience, my recommendation nearly all of the time is it's better to over-report rather yeah. than to under-report. Yeah. In other words, although FDA has put out guidance, not just this most recent one, but a number of guidances over the years about what constitutes a significant adverse event that mm -hmm. needs to be reported versus one that does not, it's still a very, very gray area. Yeah. And so my best advice to manufacturers is if there's any doubt, if there's any question, go ahead and report it anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's going to get in trouble for over-reporting, 
But in terms of underreporting, that's where problems can occur. Well, I mean, it's a good point. And I want to dive into that a bit because I've, I've worked with a lot of companies that they have these borderline events, let's say. They didn't necessarily cause death for, or necessarily serious injury, but you know, there was that, that gray area, that potential that something could have happened. And there's this, I think there's this fear that if I report something to the agency in the form of an MDR, even if you know it's borderline, that somehow or another that that's all of a sudden now going to raise a flag or put me on the radar screen with the agency. And I think that's a bit of a myth. What do you think? Well, that's an interesting question, John. So on one hand, I could certainly see how some companies might be hesitant because they might fear that it would put them on FDA's radar, as, as you say. But on the other hand, I see that as potentially a huge advantage mm-hmm. because, quite frankly, that's proof that our tracking, our, our quality system, for example, is working. Right. And as a matter of fact, tying this into the pre-market, something that I spend a lot of my time on, the, the whole submission process, one of the things that I will draw attention to in a pre-sub, for example, if a company already has products on the market, it's very interesting. And I know you spend a lot of your time in quality systems, and you know this is stuff that we've talked about in the past as well. Right. It's very in- easy for a company to say, we have those systems in place. Right. But just because we have those <laughs> systems in place and yeah. just because they meet the regulatory requirements don't necessarily mean that it works. That's right. So what I would suggest to companies who are in that kind of a situation is not only should you uh, not report, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me back yeah, up. Yeah, not back only up. should you <laughs> report these to the FDA, but you should be proud of that. You should say, look, our systems are working. Right. You know, we recognize that we try to do the best we can from an engineering perspective, but none of us can design a perfect product. And when problems occur, we want to be uh, identify them. We want to try to figure out why they happened. You know, one of the things that I used to spend a lot of my time on earlier in my career as an R&D engineer is in failure mode recreation. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you have a problem with a device in the field, can you, using some sort of a sim- simulation, recreate the conditions that led to that particular failure? Right. I mean, kind of, kind of, for, for those in the audience that remember the old TV show Quincy, that's exactly the same kind of thing. You know, the, the medical exam or the forensic approach to medical device design. Right. That's often a real challenge because you don't have a lot of detailed information yeah. from the clinical folks as to the circumstances that led to this particular problem, unless it led to a very significant problem like a death. Right. If somebody died, now you get you know a nauseating detail of, of information. But yeah. oftentimes, if it's a disposable product, for example, if a catheter breaks or or a balloon pops or something like that, they just you know throw it back in the in the box and you know yeah. take a new one. Yeah. Uh, and so the the information that you get in a situation like that might not be as detailed. So anyway, so I would I would suggest to to the companies out there that not only should they report these things, but they shouldn't hesitate. They should draw attention to them. Right. And they should say, most importantly, here's what we've done about them. Because again, part of the, the whole quality system, as, as you very well know, is the whole idea of complaint handling and CAPAs, mm-hmm. corrective actions, preventative actions. You know, this is a topic of another discussion. Oh, but right. I see a lot of people doing CAs out there 
I don't see a lot of PAs. And, and CA, hang on, CA, corrective, corrective action, uh, where they're fixing something after it, uh, it breaks or after there's an issue, whereas preventative action is having a little bit for, of foresight and being proactive. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. That, that's right. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. So I think that we as an industry, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just trying to be honest. Yeah. Uh, we as an industry are very good at putting on Band-Aids to problems, mm-hmm. but not always real good at getting to what engineers like to call the root cause. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I, I think this is, you know, j- just to get a little bit more clarity around this, you know, an MDR, you know, just for those at home listening or in the office listening, an MDR is most definitely a complaint. And I think it's important for companies and people to understand you have, you need to have, if you don't have, that's a problem called micro eye and we'll get you squared away. But you need to have a complaint handling process. And not every single complaint that you get about your product is necessarily going to fit in this, we'll call it a special category or special case of an MDR. An MDR is a certain circumstance where like Mike has described that it has the potential or has caused serious injury or death. Now, Mike, there's a couple of different varieties, if you will, of MDRs. There's the five-day version and there's the 30-day version. So what is the difference and and how do I know and what do I do differently for one versus the other? Well, that's a great question, John. But actually, before I get into that, I would just yeah. like to back up for just a couple of seconds. Sure. Not to argue semantics by any means, but I would like to just offer a slightly different spin to the relationship between complaints and MDRs, as you just okay. said. I'm not sure that in all circumstances, it would make sense to equate complaints oh. and MDRs. I'm not sure if you okay. applied that or, 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 or not. But I guess that's, yeah, that's a fair, it's a fair statement. I guess I, you know, I, most of my experiences have been, there's been a product issue and some, something didn't go well, but yeah, I suppose there is that scenario where, where it doesn't necessarily have to be a complaint. It's a good point. I mean, for example, a complaint can be something purely aesthetic. They don't like the, the color of your device. They sure. don't like the feel sure. of the device or something. I think an MDR, a medical device report, is uh, perhaps a, a subset of complaints sure. that is specifically design or user-related, although interestingly in the guidance, FDA singles out user-related issues. We can talk about that in a moment. But a design or a manufacturing or a using user each issue, you know, some sort of a flaw, some sort of a defect sure. in, in a material or, or something like that. Okay. So, so anyways. An MDR is always a complaint. A complaint is not always an MDR. Is that a, a fair I think I think I would agree with that, yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. I think that's fair. All right. Um, so back to your original question in terms of the timeliness of the report. So your audience can certainly look at the details in the guidance, but as a general rule, and this is common sense, the more severe the the problem, the more likely it is to cause great harm to the patient and the clinical vernacular, what we call a significant adverse event, which is just a fancy way of some, saying something bad happened to the patient. So if something can cause great harm, if something can, can happen very frequently, in other words, if you have a lot of devices out there right. and this 
particular issue is, let's say, a manufacturing issue, and now there's a whole bunch of devices in a certain lot that are being affected. As a general rule, those things have to be reported, and those things should be reported to the FDA in a much more timely fashion, in, in, you know, in a matter of days, as opposed to either a less severe or a less frequent event right. that could wait a little bit longer. Right. Uh, so that's the general philosophy. Beyond that, you know, the details are in the guidance. One other thing we can mention about the, on the tactical side, in terms of the forms, many in your audience are familiar with Form 3500A. There's actually several different types of that form, but mm-hmm. 3500 in general is voluntary reporting. Mm-hmm. There are two subtypes of that form. There's what's called 3500A, which is mandatory reporting for manufacturers. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a 3500B. This is something that most of your audience is probably not familiar with. That's voluntary voluntary reporting by consumers. So this is a form that the users can use to report problems directly to the FDA. And with the number of home-based medical devices rapidly increasing, as you and I have talked about before. I think this is something that more people need to be aware of. And one of the things that I would encourage companies to do, I haven't seen many companies do this, perhaps you have, I don't know, is as part of their training information, as part of their educational material, as part of their uh, packaging, maybe in their directions for use or something, they can have a statement in there if there's a problem with this device, our device, you know, you can report that information to us, but you can also report it directly right. to the FDA using this particular form 3500B on FDA's website. Right. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, John, <laughs> if many companies are going to be keen on doing that, but it's, you know, maybe I'm a little naive, but I would like to think some might. Right. Well, I mean, so let, let me just kind of recap a bit for, for the audience. Uh, Mike mentions this form 3500. Uh, 3500 uh, is the form that you fill out when you have an MDR event. If you're a manufacturer, it's 3500A. And for a consumer or, or a patient or a user of health care devices, medical devices, the form is 3500B. So if you have an event and you need to report to the, to the FDA and you're a medical device manufacturer... It's not just like you pick up the phone and call them. It's not like you send an email. You fill out this form 3,500 a And the form, having gone through it many times myself, can be a little intimidating when you first look at it. But it's a, it's a pretty thorough form. And there are very good instructions that are included with that form. I just encourage you to follow those instructions. And if you do that, then you should be in pretty good shape. Plus, we have this guidance that, that gives a pretty good amount of detail as to the nuances and the details of MDR reporting as well. So, Mike, I guess the, the interesting question for me is, you know, obviously MDR, this is not a new regulation. This is something that's been in FDA regulations for many, many years. In fact, the previous guidance, I think, was first published in 1997. So why, are, why is FDA putting out this new guidance? Why, why is this happening now? What's going on? Well, I think that's a good question. I think that you're exactly right. This process has been around for a very long time, 
But again, let's be brutally honest here. We as an industry have not been very good at carrying it out. And to be fair, this is not unique to medical devices. We have the same, if not even a larger problem on the drug side of the world. Although you're exactly right, this this issue has been around, the guidance has been around for a long time. Everybody agrees philosophically that this is an important thing to do. But pragmatically, in reality, we're not doing it as well as we could. That's issue number one. Issue number two, much of what's in this updated guidance that just came out a couple of months ago, in my opinion, is more focused on sort of the the mechanics, you know, as we yeah. just talked about the forms, the timelines, and so on. Those things are all important, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, those are not really the the most important. That's one of the things I've been trying to stress in our conversation today is right. the fact that, A, we do it. And perhaps we should over-report as opposed to under-report. But B, also to illustrate to the audience, as I shared with the pacemaker example earlier, uh, that it's not always easy to know what of what constitutes a reportable event and what yeah. is not. Right. And along with that, you know, as we just mentioned, I think the difference is, you know, for example, the guidance says that all medical device manufacturers are subject to this. But now what constitutes a manufacturer? You and I have talked about yeah. uh, personalized medicine, including 3D printing in the yeah. past. So if, you know, I shouldn't say if, but as medical devices are being able to be printed, i.e. manufactured in a hospital, in a surgical suite, in a doctor's office, is that manufacturing? And therefore, are they subject to this particular medical device uh, reporting mm-hmm. regulation? You and I just collaborated on a, a question very recently that we got from one of our customers on a, on a dental office. John, do yeah. you want to give a, a quick recap of that? Well, yeah, there's, there's a company that uh, we've been working with that is developing a new novel dental product. And part of the product that they're developing, there are components that they're getting from contract manufacturers, but there is an, uh, one of the components that will be printed in a dental office uh, for this particular dental procedure. And, you know, the the question came up, how do you consider this dentist? Are they a manufacturer? Are they a user facility? What are they? You know, and so that's that's a, a big question mark. And we collaborated a bit on that. And and uh, it's one of those those somewhat gray areas, right? It's a very gray area, John, and my specific recommendation, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is when we actually look specifically at the regulation, mm-hmm. dental offices are not included, you know, physicians, hospitals, yep. patient surgical centers, and so on. But that constitutes a whole set of interesting like questions. <laughs> like, for example, is a dentist a physician? Right. What if uh, a physician office is in a uh, a nursing home or, or something like that? So you're exactly right. They're in the gray area. So my recommendation to our customer here was very simple. According to a strict interpretation uh, of the regulation, in other words, the letter of the law, they're probably not under a regulatory or a legal obligation to report a problem. However, although that is what the letter of the law says, that is clearly not the spirit of the law. Right. And so, to be honest with you, if we're implanting something in somebody's mm-hmm. body, 
Yeah. It really doesn't matter where it's being done or, you know, or, 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 and so on. If there's a problem, we need to report it. I think that's the, the ethical responsibility that we right. have working in this business. Right. Some I, I, people might argue, when I shared this actually with my wife recently, she said, well, maybe they should add, you know, dental offices into the regulation. <laughs> well, we could certainly do that, but then what happens the next time, uh, yeah. you know, when, it, when we're in the gray area? So we'll end up yeah. with, you know, thousands of more pages of regulation than we even have right. now. Yeah. I personally don't think that's the solution. I like more general regulation, mm-hmm. basically that says if some problem occurs with some device implanted by somebody somewhere, uh, you know, yeah, and there's exactly. a problem, somebody needs to be told. <laughs> and, well, exactly. I mean, that's like you say, that's the spirit, that's the intent behind this. And, you know, certainly as, as a manufacturer of a dental device, if, if I am empowering a dentist office to be able to print components and parts and pieces and perform this procedure according to the device that I've developed. If there's an issue, I very much want to know about it. And that way I can take the necessary course of action. And if it caused some sort of serious injury or has the potential to cause serious injury or death, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to want to report that to the agency. So Mike, we're, we're getting a little light on time on this particular session, but you know, this guidance is specific to, let's reiterate, it's specific to medical device manufacturers, but there's a whole host of other types of facilities. And we just touched on one of the gray areas, but user facilities, contract manufacturers, importers, distributors, and there's probably a few others that, that I've left off that short list. How does well, another one that FDA does actually include in the yeah. guidance, John, is reprocessors. No, reprocessor, uh, that's a great point. So how do all yeah. these different entities fit in? I'm, I'm touch on the reprocessor first. Well, this is an issue that you and I have talked about in the past. And unfortunately, many in your audience are probably familiar with the tragedy that happened at UCLA and a few other hospitals last yeah. year where certain medical devices in this particular case, case duodenoscopes, were not reprocessed properly. And as a result, a number of people were infected. And in a few cases, they actually died. Mm-hmm. And so now, actually, you know, FDA is including those folks in uh, this particular guidance as well. Uh, from a from a regulatory perspective, I think it's interesting that FDA is trying to do that because, you know, kudos to them. It's an admirable goal. But on the other hand, FDA has no authority to regulate reprocessing in hospitals because right. it is the practice of medicine. So, uh, but nonetheless, I think philosophically, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Another thing that I think is interesting about the, the guidance, John, as we end our discussion, is in this guidance, and this is something that I strongly disagree with my friends at FDA on, they single out user error. In other words, if somebody uses a device improperly, that does not necessarily have to be reported as an MDR. They're separating user error from design error. The reason why I have a problem with that is that how many times does a user error, the same user error, have to occur before right. we finally determine that, in fact, it was a design error? Do you know what I mean? So I think personally trying to draw a line between, say, design flaws and user flaws is difficult, if not impossible, to do. One last thing that I wanted to bring up very quickly before we end our discussion uh-huh. is for some folks in this industry, this whole idea of medical device reporting might become a moot point. 
And here's why. Okay. One of the interesting technology areas that I'm working in right now is with a company where we are developing the technology that uh, if problems occur with a device, those problems are automatically reported wow, to the manufacturer cool. and the FDA. That's cool. Kind of like, you know, God forbid, when an airplane crashes, they the harvest black the box. black box yeah. in order to recreate. So, so kind of a black box technology for mm. medical devices. Obviously, that kind of technology is not going to be applicable to all devices across the board, but for a number of devices, certainly electronic devices and certainly devices that have some communication with the outside world, be it via internet or something, which is a growing number of devices, as, as you know, that technology is going to be very beneficial. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, having a black box kind of a recording, so to speak, would make our reporting a lot easier, but much more importantly, would make our failure mode recreation a heck of a lot easier. Right. Because as I said earlier, when I was an R&D engineer, and one of my jobs was to recreate failures that occurred in the clinical environment, oftentimes it was very difficult to do because I didn't know all of the details that I would like to know yeah. in terms of how that device was being used. Absolutely. But with a black box recording, I would be much prepared, better prepared to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's pretty exciting, actually. So, Mike, let's let me sum it up by saying, folks, MDR it, it can be your friend. Don't be afraid of it. We are making medical devices. People, physicians, dentists, healthcare providers are using the devices that we're developing. There will be serious injuries. There will be deaths that happen. We cannot prevent that. That's just the nature of the business that we're in. If and when those types of things happen, do embrace the MDR uh, and, and review this guidance document and become familiar with Form 3500A. You should be aware of it. You should, you should have more than just the procedure in place. You should know how and what to do if and when these types of events happen. Because in all frankness, it's, it's going to happen to your product. Uh, it's a good chance that it's going to happen. So just become familiar with it. And as Mike has, has highlighted and I echo as well, it's much better for us to be proactive in these situations rather than reactive. So don't wait for the problems to happen. Try to, to identify opportunities for improvement well in advance so that you're staying on top of things. And Mike, you know, on this particular topic of MDR, as you and I spoke uh, prior to the, the podcast, we could go part two, part three, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of twists and turns we can get into. We can get into how does MDR relate to your risk management and your product design and so on and so forth. So I'm going to table those particular topics to uh, a next podcast. But Mike, appreciate you joining me in this new year and kicking off another exciting year of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Well, thank you, John. Always a pleasure to be with you and your audience. This is a very important topic for all of the reasons that we discussed. I would be happy to talk about it further. But just to wrap this up for me, I would just like to remind the audience of two important points. First of all, over-report as opposed mm -hmm. to under-report. That's number one. And second and most importantly is act on the information. 
Yes. Let's be honest. Talk is cheap. It's very easy. Yes. I know all the companies out there, they have quality systems, they have complaint systems, they have CAPA systems and so on. Well, talk is cheap. Proof. Yeah, exactly. So, so take this information and, you know, figure out ultimately how we can make our medical devices even better than they are today. Absolutely. That's the whole intent of this regulation. Absolutely. And Michael, I'm going to let that be today's final word. <laughs> but for those of you who are interested in learning a little bit more about how to improve your quality management system, including processes and procedures and forms and, and workflows on how to manage complaints and MDRs and CAPAs and, and design control and risk management, I encourage you to reach out to greenlight.guru. Yes, that is our website, www.greenlight.guru. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you. You can always reach out to Mike Drews. You can find him on LinkedIn. Again, Mike Drews, D-R-U-E-S with Vascular Sciences. And again, this has been John Spear, your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru. Guru, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.